Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And I can tell by uh, the audience participation uh, that somebody was going to die over the game giveaway. This is a great crowd. So good, good, good. I hope you're having a great week. I hope it's a great day for you. And uh, if you're a guest here today, we're so delighted that you're with us. And so thanks for being here. We know there's a lot of great churches in the metro Milwaukee area that you could be a part of. But the fact that you're with us, we're honored. And if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think it's book number 5 from the beginning. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to get there in a minute. It's going to be on the screen too if you don't have a Bible with you. And uh, we're in this series on love and family. And today I'm going to talk about parenting. And let me say two things, because when you say that, everybody in the room that's not a parent, either they have grandchildren, which doesn't right, count because their grandchildren are a blessing because you didn't kill your own. Amen. <laughs> and you're like, I'm done with that. Thank God. Or or you're, you know, you're a teenager, or you're an adult, a single adult, or you're, you know, a couple, no kids, whatever. You're just kind of like checked out. Today, I really think is applicable to everybody, because uh, I'm going to talk about parenting, but I'm not going to talk about parenting. Hopefully, that'll make sense in a minute. And then for everybody that's in, that's parents, and you're in the throes of parenting, whether it's a terrible twos, whether it's elementary whether you're getting into that phase where you feel like you're like a professional taxi driver or you should just do Uber or Lyft because uh, it's, you're doing so much of that, uh, or you're just in those crazy teen years, um, or your kid's in the basement and you can't get them out, wherever you find yourself. Uh, I, uh, I just want you to know, most of the time when you hear a message on parenting, you just feel like, oh, he's fixing to lay in on us, take the Bible, like just a big, black King James and just slam us with it. We're going to feel horrible. We'll get over it and we'll watch the Super Bowl or whatever. But, but I mean, for the time being, it's going to be a horrible experience. And um, I don't want that to be the case today. I, I really don't think it has to be. I really hope that two things happen, that everybody in this room, first of all, feels equipped to live life and feels empowered because that's exactly how this book, in the book of Deuteronomy, and actually the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, that's how the, the Jews, the Israelites, viewed that uh, as, it, as Moses gave them. It was viewed that these books, we, we call them the Pentateuch, they're the first five books of the Old Testament, that they were given, it's the law, which the law we would kind of refer to as modern-day Protestants is, is the Bible, but the, or the Old Testament. The law was given, and, and, and the, the Orthodox Jews still believe that uh, this is how, if you walk this out and live this out, this is how you live in right relationship with God the Father and with your fellow man. This is the best way to live life on this planet. And so, so the idea behind this is not to be some cosmic killjoy, but rather to empower you and to equip you uh, to live the life that you desire and that God desires. And so today, I want to walk through um, Deuteronomy chapter 6. The first 25 verses are really about uh, instruction directly dealing with parenting. I'm not going to read all that. I'm going to read probably about seven or eight of those verses. I'm going to kind of walk you through it. Uh, you can read it more on your own if you'd like to. But there are principles from this passage that help all of us and how we're to live life. 
I don't think this is going to be one of those feel-good messages where it's just kind of like, like you know, it's just like Christianity light, because I just don't think it's that way. But I do think it's things that are very easily put into practice in our lives. So I want to look at this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. And the Bible begins to read, These are the commands and the decrees and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Verse 2, So that you and your children and your children after them may fear the Lord your God for as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees. And the commands that I give to you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Let's give on down to verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Excuse me, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. Verse 6. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Skip on down to verse 20. And in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of these stipulations, these decrees and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? In essence, to kind of a modern day translation of that is, when your children ask you, why are we going to church? Why do we serve God? Why is he the only way? That's what they're saying. Tell him, verse 21, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees, to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as in the case today. Verse 25, and if you're careful to obey this law before the Lord our God, he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, in essence, when you look at verse 20 and 21, the response of, the response of, of you know, when your children ask you, why are we doing this? The, the, the essence of the response is, is that this is our story. Uh, we used to sing a song in church, an old hymn of the church called Blessed Assurance. This is my story. This is my song. Here's the thing. There are times that your kids will ask you, why are we going to church? And why do we have to do this? And why this? And why that? And it's completely natural for them to ask that. But we need to have a response. And the response doesn't have to be chapter and verse. Notice. The response needs to be because this is our salvation, because this is our redemption, because this is how we live in right relationship with God the Father and with each other. It's what, what Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 33 says, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. When the vertical relationship between you and God the Father through Jesus the Son is right, then the horizontal relationships in life, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your business associates, how you do and deal with life and all the things that deal with life will fall into place and be correct. If you focus on the horizontal relationships in life and you neglect the vertical relationship in life, you will, it will be like, life will feel like you are hurting cats. It will be impossible. But if you will focus first on God and then you'll allow him to help you, all these things will come into place. That's actually the picture of the cross, the vertical beam and the cross beam. This, this very simple. And, and these are all foreshadowings of all of that. What's interesting is that he ends, and again, this was written to the Hebrew people. The Jews today who are Orthodox Jews still practice and teach this today and teach this to their kids. Uh, so from the Torah and the, and the Talmud, and I mean, there's a whole succession of rote memorization that they teach. Look, look at verse 25. He says, if we're careful to obey all of this that the Lord our God has commanded us, this, that will be our righteousness. 
It's interesting that he calls that our righteousness. Because as Christ followers, as Christians, not as, we're not Jews, right? But, but Christianity came from Judaism. And so the, the essence, the basic essence of difference is that Judaism believes in God the Father, and they're still awaiting the Messiah. Christians, we believe in God the Father, the same God of the Jews, but we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. They rejected him, we accepted him, Therefore, we, we follow Jesus. And the Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus becomes our righteousness. Well, in the Old Testament here, it's saying that, that following these decrees, following the law, following the word of God is our righteousness. That's why John's gospel, chapter 1, is so important in the life of a Christ follower. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among men. Jesus Christ becomes the complete embodiment of the word. Therefore, it doesn't take away from Deuteronomy chapter 6 or the power therefore of thereof, but it allows us to go Jesus Christ and following him, we follow the law. And following him, because he fulfilled the law, we don't have to worry about fulfilling the law. We just follow Jesus. And so in following Jesus, he becomes our righteousness. How does he do that? Because his blood covers our sins. Though our sins be as scarlet, the blood of Jesus Christ washes them white as snow. And so I'm trying to contextualize that to understand this is a document that Orthodox Jews practiced even to today in the 21st century, but was given thousands and thousands of years ago, but has complete relevance to where we are. And he's specifically speaking in this particular passage about how as parents we're to translate, we're to indoctrinate, we're to teach our children, the next generation. And so the Bible does not prescribe, hey, kids, you just choose whatever way you want to go, and if you want to follow this or that, or no, we don't want to impose upon you. No, he's saying when you walk along the road, when you get up, when you, when you go to bed, constantly be talking. And when they ask you, why do we got to go to church? Do your kids ever do that to you? Yeah, probably this morning, right? Why do we got to go to church? No, 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 no. Because this is our story. This is our song. Because this is where mom was before she met Jesus. And this is where dad was before he met Jesus. And this is what Jesus did in our life. And this is the right way to live life. That when we, Matthew 6.33, when we focus on God first and then we allow him, he will help us with everything else in life. And so son or daughter, when you focus on God the Father and you put your relationship first with him, then school and college and relationships and all the other things that you're trying to swim through will come together because you're putting him first in your life. That's our righteousness. So I told you I wasn't going to talk just about parenting. And I want to give a statement. Stuart Briscoe, who is the long-term pastor at Elmbrook, I have an immense amount of respect for Stuart and Jill Briscoe. And I've had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to be with him and, and to speak with him. He makes a statement about this that I think is very apropos to, to this passage that I think will help us, for all of us, to get benefit from. And that is that parents must first succeed as persons before succeeding as parents. Parents must first succeed as persons before succeeding as parents. The essence is, is as a parent, don't go on some guilt trip about you're not perfect. Guess what? Nobody's perfect. Don't go on a guilt trip about, man, I may have really messed my kid up. You probably did. 
I have a friend of mine who's a therapist, and I was talking to him one day, and we were just having a conversation, and I told him something that I did. I said, man, I just was like out of my mind. It was a situation, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't cuss. I didn't throw anything. I didn't hurt anybody, but it just, this roar came out. And you don't ever have that problem? Yeah, you do. You're in church. Don't lie. I don't want you to die right now. And so I said, I said, I said, I, I don't, probably didn't handle it right. And he goes, nope. And I said, do you think I did some damage? He said, yeah, probably. Probably, yeah. Well, uh, last thing, yeah, yeah. But, but the good thing about kids, they're resilient. They'll get over it. They'll do whatever. Your dad did stuff to you too. And so it's, it's, it's okay. And, and I'm not talking about anything that, that's, that's, that's abusive. I'm just saying just typical life. There's just times where you've had it at work and you come home and it's just, you erupt. You just kind of emotionally, pardon the phrase, emotionally vomit on everybody. And it's just, it's disgusting and it's horrible and you feel horrible about it. But this is just life. So it's not about being perfect. It's, it, parenting's not about, not about raising perfect kids. Parenting, let me say that again. Parenting's not about raising perfect kids. Your kids are going to do stuff. I did stuff, you did stuff. You did stuff you don't want your kids to know about. Let's just be honest. <laughs> so what's it about? It's about being a person of the Lord who has these principles in their life that Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about. And I think if we focus on the principles, not upon our kids, on the principles of am I following? There's six principles that, that Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us. If I will focus on that in my life, then it will reproduce in my kids. Because that's exactly what happens. Because they are watching. 86% of communication is nonverbal. That's the reason why when you write an email or you send a text or any kind of digital media, whether it's social or private, when you send that out, it's always subject to the reader's interpretation. That's the reason why you get way more bold and digital communication than you ever would in interpersonal face-to-face -face communication. Because at the end of the day, when I'm having to look at you and I'm having to read the, the emotional cues and I'm watching things and I'm subconsciously picking up on things and your attitude and your involvement and it's feeding back, I will respond probably way more different than I'm just zipping off an email to you or I'm posting a text to you or I'm tweeting something out to you. So, I want to look at these principles. Now, principles are universal. I said this last weekend. Principles are universal. They work at any place, at any time, in any culture. In order for it to be a principle, that's how it has to work. It can't just work in Wisconsin, but it doesn't work in New York. Or it can't just work in America, but it doesn't work in India. It's got to work in Bangladesh, and it's got to work in Bentonville. It's got to work everywhere. And so that's what a principle is. A practice is not that way. A practice, unlike a principle, is derived from a principle, but it's not universal. It's an action that's based upon principles, but it's subject to place or to time or to people or to culture. So what I want to do today is I want to take a minute and I, want to, I just want to pull these six principles out very quickly. And I'm going to give you the principle. And the principle is what we're trying. It's the character that we're trying to develop in our own life. And that's true of any of us, where you're 13, 35, or 105. Whether you have kids, no kids, or you've got six kids and one on the way, God help you. It doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, these are the principles. I'm also, with each principle, going to give a practice. It's not limited to that, but it gives you an idea of what that principle and how it works. So principles of a person. The principles of persons. So first of all, listen to the Lord. Verse 3 and verse 4. He says, hear, O Israel. Listen to the Lord. 
A character in, in every one of our lives as, as Christ followers should be that we're listening to the voice of the Lord. How do I know the voice of the Lord? What's a practical way to flesh that out? Regularly spending time in prayer where you're speaking to God and regularly spending time in God's word where he's speaking to you. Do you want to know the greatest way God's going to speak to you? Is through his word. Well, God doesn't talk to me. Are you reading the Bible? Well, no, and I don't... I don't really understand it. You know, it's kind of like reading Shakespeare. You got the wrong version. Do you understand? A version of the Bible isn't different. It's just, it's, in a, it's, it's like linguistics. It would be like, if I'm going to translate something from Spanish to German, you don't understand it. But if I translate it from Spanish to English, you get it if you speak English. If you speak German, you, you don't. You need it in German. The, the thing is, is that the King James Bible, and I love it. That's how I, I memorize scripture. So most of my scripture memorization comes from that. But the King James Bible is written at a freshman in college reading level. Do you know what the, at the, news, the average newspaper in America is written at? A third grade reading level. See the disparity between the two? No wonder we have a hard time comprehending it. And it does feel like, oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, where art thou, Romeo? It's like, what? Do I need cliff notes for this? Remember those? So the reality is, is find a version of the Bible that makes sense. The NIV, the ESV. I mean, there's so many. I could go all the way through. But find one so that you can get into God's word and let him speak to you. Again, if you don't have a Bible that you can understand, just go by the resource center today. Tell them. Pastor said I can come out and get a free Bible because I don't understand it. They'll give you a Bible. We, th this is what this is about is we want you to get into God's word. That's how he's going to speak to you. But you got to pray. And prayer isn't some flowery, flowery speech with some big words with ist and thou and thouest and thou for art thou. It's not like you're reading Shakespeare. It's not some formal liturgy. That may be beautiful and poetic, but the, but the bottom line is, and I'm in a lot of different circles ecumenically where there's other people from other denominations and sometimes even other faiths, and we're asked to pray. I was asked to pray this past week at a, at a, at a function here in Germantown, and um, it was interesting. That was the only time in the night in the room where the room got quiet. Because there's something about hearing that. And when people pray, when I watch them reading a prayer, it's like, okay, whatever, that's rehearsed. What are you trying to do that for? But when someone just says, God, here's where I'm at right now. I don't understand this. I'm having a rough time with this. Life really stinks. I, I, God, help me. Or Lord, you so saved my bacon the other day on this deal. Isn't that how you talk to one another? Talk to God that way. It's just a conversation. And listen, you're never going to say anything. There's no lightning bolts. You're never going to say anything where God's going to go, I can't hear that. No, because it's your heart. It's a father listening to a child. If your child came to you in desperation and cried out to you, it doesn't matter what the verbiage is. It's the heart that's there. That's all God wants. So when we look at this principle of to, to listen to the Lord in our context, it's regularly spending time in prayer and in God's word. Second is obey the Lord, verse 3. He says to obey, to listen to the Lord, but to obey the Lord. The practical piece of that is are you obeying the leadings from your listening? 
If you're spending time in prayer and in the word, as you read something in scripture, are you changing your life? Are you making tweaks in your life? Are you making adjustments in your life? As you sense the Lord speaking to your heart, and you don't know sometimes, but are you doing your best from your heart? Are you trying to follow those leadings? That's obeying the Lord. I read it in your word, God, and I'm not really doing this. I need to do that. I read this in your word, Lord, and I'm not really following this. I need to follow this. Instead of taking proverbial mental scissors to God's word when it comes to things that you don't like, how about just saying, you know what? I'm going to write that down. I'm going to memorize that scripture, and I'm going to make that change in my life. That's it. It's very simple. And I know this stuff is way more easy to preach than live, trust me, because I, I preach it on the weekends, but I have to live it through the week, and so I'm with you. The third principle is to love the Lord. Verse 5, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This, the practical side of this, I wish there was a real easy way to kind of quantify this. But this is an attitude of your heart. And every one of us, here's what I know, we all know our hearts. You know how jacked up you are. You don't need a preacher or a sermon to tell you whether you're living in sin. You don't. I don't. You know if your heart is hard like stone or if, or, or if it's soft like flesh. You know whether you're giving God the Heisman on an issue or whether you're open and your palms up saying, God, whatever you want to do. How's your heart this morning? Jesus says it's not what, what, what enters a man's mouth that defiles him. Thank God so we can go eat buffets. But it's what comes out of his heart that defiles him. David says, guard your heart above all other things, because out of your heart flows the issues of life. Heart. This isn't really even about action. That's the fruit of my heart. But the root of my action, the root of the fruit in my life, is my heart. How's your heart this morning? Are you angry? Are you mad? Are you just, are you ambivalent? You just like, I don't care. See, for me, here's how I know this for me. This is just me. This isn't anybody else. I'm not a crier. I'm not emotionally driven like that. But here's what I know, that when the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in those God moments that I have in my life and that I want regularly in my life and that we should all have, one of the emotional responses for me that I know that my heart is breaking and it's a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, is that when I cry in the presence of the Lord. And when it's been so long, I can't remember the last time that I've wept in the presence of God, my heart's getting hard. That's just me. That's just one of my gauges. What's yours? Know your heart. That's what that means to love the Lord. Verse 13 is the next principle. He says to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. What, what does that mean? Because it kind of gets to be like, and I don't want to go and exegete the original Hebrew this is written in. I, let me explain it like this. And this is kind of the practical side of this. That this, when he talks about fear, he's talking about reverence, not being scared. There's a difference. If I revere something, I, my posture changes. My cadence changes. My my, maybe even my, I, may, I may drop my head. I be, may become more quiet. There's a reverence that's there. Being scared of something is I'm just freaked out. Like I am completely wigged out. 
God doesn't want you to be scared. 2 Timothy says that God's not given us the spirit of fear, of being scared, but of power and love and of a sound mind. It's a totally different word, and I know that's written in the Greek, but that fear is, that, is, is I'm, a, I'm freaked out, I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what's going to happen in this situation, I don't know if I'm going to lose my job, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep my house, I don't know what's going to happen in my marriage, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, I, I, I don't know if this is the right, that, that, God's not, so anytime you feel that level of, of, of fear, that type of fear, of fear of being scared of something, that's an emotional response, that's not from God, that's always the enemy of your soul. You can always, in the words of the great theologian, like Taylor Swift said, you can just shake that off, all right? But if you feel a sense of awe, this is God. That's an attitude of your heart, of reverence. My, 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 my dad uh, was a kind of person that, um, quite frankly, he wasn't, he's not a tall man of stature. Uh, he's about five, seven um, and, uh, but my dad has this look, like he's just going to just sever your head from your torso. You know what I'm saying? My Tammy calls it the Jerry Cole look. And she said, you get that every once in a while. And you just, when you're just, you, you get this furrow brow and you get this look and you get this, and I don't mean to, I come by it naturally, but, 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 uh, my, <laughs> I love my dad, but my dad would light you up. I mean, you got out of line. There was no questions. I mean, th- there was nothing, you know, at church. Uh, I would see him from across the room, and if he gave me that look, it was that, like that desk there, I knew, man, when I got home, whoo, I wasn't going to be sitting down for a while. Now, I know that's not politically correct to spank your children, or as we call it in the South, get a whooping, but, but, but you understand what I'm saying. And so my, my dad believes spare the rod, spoil the child. So there was no spoiled child here at all, I'm just telling you. I remember when I got to college and I realized, I'm too old to get a spanking. I'm too old. Like this... I'm taking all the guys to Waffle House. Let's go. Because I mean, I'm like excited, right? And again, I, I, I'm 6'1", 230, 240, and I, 250, and I, I'm, I'm, it's growing all the time, amen? Step on the scale. So anyhow, but my dad is one of those people I just don't mess with. I'm not scared of him. But I revere him. And he gets this certain physical stance, and he drops his head, and he raises this one eyebrow, and he looks at you, and he puts his hand out one time, and it's, it's, it's game over. You just don't jack with him. I, I had a friend in high school who we were all staying over at the house, and my dad said, you boys can do what you want to do, but that kitchen better be cleaned up by the time I leave for the plant in the morning, which is about 5 o'clock, because your mother's not going to deal with this. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, whatever, okay. We're all asleep. About four, 4 o'clock that morning, I hear somebody banging around the kitchen. And I'm like, what's going on? So I get up, and I go in there. I said, bro, what are you doing? He goes, your dad said, had, this had to be cleaned up by 5 o'clock. This guy was like 6'3". He was huge. I'm like, bro. He goes, no, your dad said this. I said, my dad ain't going to do nothing. Just go to bed. You're waking people up. He goes, oh, man, I'm getting this kitchen cleaned up. I do not want your dad mad at me. I, I'm not scared of many people, but your father scares me. The difference between being scared and being reverent is relationship. People that are not in relationship with God the Father are fearful of everything that's happening in a scared sense of what's happening in the end times. People that are in right relationship with God the Father, they understand, they understand that God's in control and there's a peace and there's a solace with that. That's what Deuteronomy's talking about, to fear the Lord. Verse 13 says to serve the Lord. To serve the Lord. The practical side of this was to be active in your faith. What are you doing? Where are you serving? And many times it's easy for us to kind of go, well, I'm serving. Really? Where? 
Tell me what food pantry. Tell me what ministry. Tell me what not-for-profit. Tell me what neighbor. Tell me who you're serving. Because sometimes we think we're doing stuff that we're really not doing. We're signed up for a ministry, but we serve about once every quarter. I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. I'm just saying for all of us is we can find practical ways to serve the Lord. The Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it as unto the Lord. How are you serving? And yes, work counts. You're working to provide for your family. The Bible says that, that, that you should be doing that as a Christ follower. And then that's a way that we serve the Lord. You're doing things in your schedule that you're sacrificing from yourself for the sake of your family. You're serving the Lord in that way. But in some ways, all those things also benefit you. How and where are you serving in a way that has no direct benefit to you? Serve the Lord. And lastly, verse 18 and 19 says to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord. Are you trusting the Lord? The practical side of this is just don't quit. How do you trust God? Just don't quit. Don't give up. Well, what do you mean, Aaron? Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, Don't become weary in, do, in, in well-doing, for in due season, if you don't quit, you'll have your reward. That means when you're trying to live this God life, when you're trying to follow Jesus, it's tough and it's not easy. And it can become very wearisome. Doing the right things can become very wearisome. Sometimes the work of God can kill the work of God in you if you're not careful. And you walk away from it. You walk away from it. And, and it may be for all kinds of reasons. You're trying too hard on your own. You're not really trusting the Lord in some areas. But, 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 but the deal is, is, is the greatest thing you can do as a Christian is just don't quit. But man, you don't know, bro. I don't. But you don't know what I deal with. I mean, as a pastor, there are times as a pastor, you just want to quit. You just want to be done. You get one person that says something to you in a negative way, and you're just like, this is not worth this. You have one situation or one season where you feel like the heavens are brass. You're not the only one that deals with this. You feel like that it's just your ceiling, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. What good is it done? God, where are you? What's going on? And you just want to quit. There are just times where you're pushing and pushing and trying to get people to do this and trying to get people to do that and trying to get people engaged, and everybody feels like they're apathetic, or at least it seems that way, and nobody really is following and it's just not coming together and nobody you just want to quit there's times where you're dealing with your own flesh and you're trying to go left but you keep going right and you're trying to do the right thing but you just keep doing the wrong thing and you're trying to be good but you're just bad and, and, and at the end of the day you just you, the enemy of your soul goes it's just not worth it you can't do it that's a lie from the pit of hell just don't quit just make up your mind. I may have to pray every day. God, forgive me. I may have to re-sign up every day. God, help me. I may have to struggle with whatever it is in my life, but I'm just not going to quit. Paul the apostle had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. We don't know what the struggle is, but we know he asked God multiple times to remove that issue in his life. It was a struggle that he had in his life. We don't know what it is. It's a good thing that we don't because it could be applicable to all of us. He had a struggle in his life that he just simply struggled with and fought and fought and just kept asking God, will you lift this from me? Will you just take this from me? Will you just... And, and he said, the, the, God's, the word of the Holy Spirit came to him and said... 
my, 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 you know, that your strength is made perfect and, 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 uh, your, and, and your weakness, that God's strength is made perfect, and, the, and that, that, that he would give strength to be able to do what needed to be done. Jesus does the exact same thing when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before he dies for humanity. God, if there's any way this can be passed from me, if there's any way I don't have to do this, if there's any way I don't have to go and endure this pain, let it pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You want to talk about somebody when he's just like, deuces, peace, out, I am done. It's him. Because he knew what was going to have to happen, but he knew the cost. And all I'm trying to say is, is when we're talking about trusting God, it's not something that's on our currency in America. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle of I'm just not going to quit. It's not a lifestyle of being perfect because you're not. You never will be. Neither am I. It's just a choice not to quit. So these six things, listen to the Lord, obey the Lord, love the Lord, fear the Lord, serve the Lord, and trust the Lord. As a person, are you doing those things? Let me, let me wrap this up. As persons, are you doing these commands? Where are you weak? Look at that list. Where are you weak? Where are you struggling? You may go, man, I'm really jacked up. I'm like four out of five, four out of six, six out of six. Man, I could even add some more to the list, Right? Here's what I want you to do today. I don't want you to get overwhelmed with a list. What's one, what's the one thing on that list that seems to be the worst of the others? One, not two, not three, not six. Don't go make a poster and put it on the refrigerator at the house and go, kids, this is what you're gonna do. This is how we're gonna live life, boom. Because that'll last all of about 24 hours, maybe. Find one thing for you and make that a focus. I am going, if I don't do anything else this year, if I don't do anything else in this season, I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to obey the, I'm going to make that a focus. Don't focus on succeeding as a parent, but focus on succeeding as a person. Because here's the reality with this. If you'll focus on you, it'll come out in your kids. Because you're reproducing your children who and what you are. You can talk all day long. You can send them to private Christian school all day long. You can take them to church every single week and have perfect attendance. But the only way they're going to get these things is when they see it in you. You are the greatest single influence of their life. Church, school, Christian friends, those are all things that can enforce, but they're only going to enforce the things that you're teaching them. Why? Because you cannot lead where you have not been. You cannot teach what you have not learned. And you cannot give your children what you do not have. So quit focusing on being a perfect parent or having perfect kids. And simply focus on developing yourself to follow the Lord. As far as parenting is concerned, the Bible says in verse 7, uses the word we should impress these biblical values upon our children. That word impress means diligence, intentionality, over and over and over and over. It's like drills. 
It's like a drill sergeant in the Marine Corps. It's over and over and over. And when they ask questions, connect the dots for them and bring them right back to Scripture. And over and over. And so what do you mean by that? That's how I live. That's how I talk. That's where we go. That's where we don't go. And I'm explaining to my kids. I'm having open conversations. This is why we're not going here because it's a drunk fest. And we don't believe in, we don't, we don't believe in, in drunkenness. And so this is where we're not going to be. This is what's not going to happen over here because of this. This is how you do this. This is how we decide on movies. This is how we decide on media choices and have conversations so that you're learning, that they're learning and growing by, by you asking them questions. And so to impress means to live, to teach, to practice, to perform as long as they're under your roof. What do you mean under my roof? I mean, if they're on your payroll, <laughs> they're under your roof. If they're physically living in your house, they're under your roof or maybe in your basement, but they're there. If, 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 if they're off to college, but, but you're paying for this and this and this and this and this, they're still under your roof. They're on your payroll. They're probably the most expensive people that you have on your payroll. My daughters understand this. Look, the coal house is a blessed house, and dad will take care of things. Mom will take care of things. But this is how we're going to live life. And if you don't want to live life like that, and you're old enough to do what you want to do, you can go on with your bad self. It's a free country. That's right. You can do whatever. But you can either allow me to bless you, or you can do what you want to do, but it's your choice. We're not rock and sock and robots. Nobody's controlling me. Nobody's controlling you. If you're 18, you're, you're an adult in the eyes of the law. I have no control over you. The doctors no longer will tell me what they're telling you in a doctor's appointment. That's a very weird feeling when you do that. So it's your choice. But if you're not under my roof, let me have the keys to the car. Let me have the credit card. Let me have all the things. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, but, but. Let me have the phone. But, but, yeah, Because dad's paying for all that. That's not your right as an American. That's not your right as a, as a citizen of the world. Your right as a citizen of the world is you can get your rear end out there and figure it out on your own. Amen. God bless you. Right? <laughs> Do you understand? But as long as for me, as what Joshua said, as long as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's just kind of harsh. No, it's not harsh at all. Because we have impressed this upon you. We've lived this out in front of you. We've, we've, we, we've demonstrated this. But what we're not called to do as parents is to impose ourselves. This is very important. To impose yourself on your kids. Because there is a point in time where you have to release them to make their own choices. You have to release them to leave home and, re and, and release them to leave the authority of your home and of your own roof and to have their own life, to make their own decisions and to release them. And this is really hard with, with, with this millennial generation that we're raising up because we're helicopter parents and we want to be involved and we want to know. And quite frankly, it's not our business once they are out from under our roof. And so for me to impose myself upon them, for me to interject my feelings upon them, is how you feel about your mother-in-law telling you what you should be doing in your own house. Ooh, did I just go there? I think I did. Because you want to go, ain't none of her business. Or your father-in-law showing up. Or your parents. And then your spouse says, that's your parents. You deal with them. See, as a parent of an adult child, you must release that child unto God and you have to rest in his word. And that is so much harder to live than it is to say. But Proverbs says, 
chapter 22, verse 6, that when you train up a child in the way that he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. God, I gave you these children and dedicated them unto you because you blessed me with them. They're yours. Lord, I have endeavored in every part of my life to teach them the values that Deuteronomy chapter 6 espouses. And now, God, I'm trusting that those things that have been impressed upon my child will return a life of righteousness. May not see it right now, may not understand it right now, may not be in agreement with their lifestyle right now, but I'm trusting that you will perform your word. Why? Because God's responsible to do two things, to keep the principles and the promises of his word. And when Proverbs 22 says that when you do this in your home, in your household, that your children will return to the Lord, that your children will serve the Lord, that's exactly what will happen. But you have to trust and release. Remember the story of the prodigal father with the prodigal son? Who's the prodigal dad in the story? It's God. And if God being perfect in every way, in every likeness, has one son that stays under the, under the house under the blessing of the home and has another son that wants to go his own way, how much more will you and I deal with that? So what does a father do? Does he impose himself upon his son? No, he releases him. And he walks as far as he has the ability to walk, which was at the end of his property, but releases his boy, even though he knows what's going on. And you see the compassion of the father when the child comes home. That when his son was yet a long way off, he ran to him, which was something that, that, that Jewish men never did in public. That was something that pagan Greeks did. Jews did not. It was distasteful. It was immodest. But he ran to him. And he embraced him. And he kissed him. And the son has his speech. Maybe I'm not, I'm not worthy to be a son. Just let me. And he shuts his mouth and says, put a robe on this boy. Put, feet, put, put shoes on his feet. It was a sign that he was under the authority of the home again. And that he was under the blessing of the home. So those of you that have sons and daughters that are far away from the Lord, listen. God's word is yes and amen. He will do that. He will keep that. Rest in the word of the Lord. And for the rest of us that have these rugrats living under our roof, don't get wigged out about your parenting or about their performance. Focus on the person that God's called us to be. And God will take care of that.